All right. So we are in Acts, and uh, good for a Pentecostal church. Um, we are in Pentecost, in fact, this week. Acts 2. Open your Bibles, if you would, because we want to, uh, we've talked about, we've seen some of our themes come up. One of the themes that was important, uh, especially in the 80s, when I was starting here, 40 years ago, yes, this is 40 years since I started coming to this church, um, the truth of the Word and the life of the Spirit. We want to be true to the Word and alive in the Spirit. And those are not like contradictory. <laughs> they flow together. Um, and so as we look at being Pentecostal because of the fact that we ground our life together as true to the Word and alive in the Spirit, it's about the day of Pentecost, and Acts 2 is when the day of Pentecost came. And rather than pick up um, the way that you might have heard Pentecost talked about, or what does it mean to be a Pentecostal, or distinctives, or something like that, I want us to go right back into the Word, focus on what does Acts 2 say, and then maybe at the end we'll pick up some, some, uh, some of the questions, or, or debates, or controversies, or what, what does it mean in individual things, all right? But I want us to be focused on what does the Word say. So, uh, do we have the PowerPoint up? All right. So, we are in the Acts of Jesus and the Spirit. Luke had two volumes, Luke and Acts, and he said the first one was about what Jesus began to do and teach. The second one was what Jesus continued to do and teach. So, we believe that Jesus is continuing to do and to teach by His Spirit today. So what is Jesus doing here, but also in, in the book, but also in our lives? That's our question. So, sorry. Um, just a summary from the video we watched last time. A story, Acts is a story about Jesus leading his people by the Spirit to go out into the world and invite all nations to live under his reign, his kingdom. Key text for the book, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And last time we talked about how that is the new people of God, really the true people of God. It isn't so much emphasizing that it's the new as this is the true Israel, the true people of God, the true kingdom, the true power, Spirit-filling and purpose to be witnesses and direction out, a shift from the Old Testament, out to peoples. It was based in prayer. They had new leaders and guidance into what they were supposed to do. So that's a quick summary of where we were last week. Um, and I want to look at what Luke says about the Spirit of God and about the filling with the Spirit, specific to this text, but also related to other ones. So, and I want... A couple of things uh, to just frame for us here. Um, as people, as we look at Scripture, how do we understand Scripture? How do we interpret Scripture? Important question. One of the things that happens is that because Acts is a narrative, sometimes people have said, well, you know, narrative isn't quite as important as when, when something is said directly. So therefore, what happens is people focus on the epistles and like what Paul said, and then because he's directly saying things, and then interpret narrative story sections as kind of underneath of that. Let me tell you, that doesn't make sense of the way that 
people understood things in this time or people understand things around the world. Now, if you're in Africa, if something is important, put it in a story. You tell a story if something's really important. If you're just going to declare something, that's probably not as important. For our, you know, we, we put legal documents and stuff. We don't tell stories in that. But for an important thing should be put in a story. And, and this is an important story. The story of the Gospels is an important story. The story of Acts, what Jesus continues to do, is an important story. So I want to ask you to put narrative and declarative like epistles together. All right? Another piece of trying to understand what Scripture is saying. Take each author separately. I know the Holy Spirit wrote the whole thing, but he wrote it through people. And people have individual ways that they like to understand things. So non-Pentecostal interpreters tend to take the one time that Paul mentions filling with the Spirit and the one time Paul mentions baptism in the Spirit and understand all of the 28 sometimes that Luke mentions filling and baptism in the Spirit in Luke and Acts. You follow me? That's not the way to do it. Understand what Luke himself is trying to say, how he uses those words. And in fact, Paul uses a slightly different Greek word than Luke's favorite Greek word for filling. So we want to look at what does Luke mean when he's talking about filling of the Spirit. And since it's a two-volume work, it makes sense to pay attention to what he uses in Luke and Acts, how he uses those things, how he understands the work of the Spirit in Luke and Acts. Also, it makes sense to pay attention to what is Luke reading. Well, Luke is reading the Bible. He's reading the Bible in Greek, as in what we call the Old Testament, in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And he's using those terms and those concepts, and he's showing how that's done now with Jesus. And so I want to say that Luke, this is my kind of summary statement, Luke portrays the spirit of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus, and it empowers for a powerful, prophetic mission, proclaiming the good news to the world, the good news of God's kingdom. I hope you're following me. Um, but that is what Luke's emphasis is, and he's picking up on the Old Testament. Now, in John and Paul, they talk more about things like sanctification and initiation and salvation with the Spirit. Luke doesn't talk so much about that. Now, that's true for Luke, and it's true in the Old Testament. But in the Old Testament, what's emphasized is the Spirit anoints people, empowers them for special tasks that God has in his mission. You remember this kind of stuff. For example, um, the Holy Spirit comes upon Saul, and he prophesies, and then he goes and, and uh, wins battles. He comes on the judges, and they, they do that kind of thing, or people give prophetic utterances. He comes on Moses. And then you remember a time when, when Moses, um, the, the Spirit was taken from Moses and put on other people. Those are the kinds of things that are in Luke's mind. So for Luke, in Luke-Acts, the Holy Spirit comes to anoint and empower to do the work of God, to bring the kingdom of God and especially to prophesy. In other words, to use your mouth somehow by the Spirit of God 
to further God's kingdom. Now, that might be speaking in other languages. It might be prophetic gifts. It might be teaching. It might be um, <clears throat> singing. It might be lots of things. And Luke, but each time that Luke uses the word that you're filled with the Spirit, something usually happens. Somebody usually says something. Simeon is filled with the Spirit, and he prophesies, for example, in Luke. You following me? Um, I'm not going through every text here, but um, I want you to see the main points of what Luke is after. And to me, this is how I understand the main point of what Luke is after. So, um, let's go to Acts 2. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. I'm just going to jump ahead here to what Pentecost was. Why this particular time? Why this day? Well, it's 50 days <clears throat> after Passover when Jesus was killed. So for 40 days, they were seeing Jesus in his post-resurrection. And then 10 days, they were waiting. But it waited, waited until the day of Pentecost. This was a celebration of harvest. It was a, a feast of harvest that was given in the books of Moses. And it was also an anniversary of the covenant given at Mount Sinai, especially later in intertestamental Judaism. It became a time when they celebrated the giving of the law, the giving of the covenant at Mount Sinai. And you can see that Luke seems to be referencing that because we have these evidences of or reminders of the giving of the law of the new covenant at Mount Sinai. Fire and wind, <coughs> you recall, um, on, on the mountain, how it was full of fire and wind, and then later that becomes, um, that enters the tabernacle and later the temple. So we're having that kind of picture of the, the presence of God. So I'm going to back up here to our text. But I wanted to just get a little glimpse about the day of Pentecost. All the believers are meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound. Like a roaring of a mighty windstorm. It seems to eat people, other people heard this as well. It filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. You remember when the fire came on top of the mountain. You remember when the fire came and entered the tabernacle. You remember when the fire and the presence of God came and entered the temple. Now the fire comes to Jerusalem again. And we don't know if they were in the upper room or they were in some place near the temple because different texts kind of say it. But somehow, right near the temple, this fire comes on the new temple. The new temple, though, is this new community. These people of God become emblazoned with the fire of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, this is Luke's favorite term, filled with the Holy Spirit. He mentions baptized a couple, three times, mostly re in reference to, to what John said, the promise of the baptism. But filling with the Holy Spirit is what Luke, his favorite term. Um, everyone who was present was filled with the Holy Spirit and they began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. You know, it just kind of struck me uh, as I was reading this in a new translation. They didn't speak in tongues. I, I, you, they spoke in languages. Now, tongues, is, of course, means other languages. They spoke in mother tongues. 
because other people understood what they were saying. Now, some of you are like, what do you mean they didn't speak in tongues? The King James said tongues. It meant languages. They spoke in languages that people... I'm mentioning that because when we say, say they spoke in tongues, we miss the point that this is about the nations. This is about reaching all the nations. This is about speaking in the mother tongues of all these people, which we'll, we'll find out who they were. Um, <clears throat> uh, let's click through this. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem when they heard the loud noise. So everybody else heard this loud noise, too. Everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. And I didn't put the whole text in here, so I'm going to read on. If you've got a, there's a Bible right in front of you in, in, your, in your pew, and I hope there's one in your couch if you're at home. Um, pick up your Bible. Start reading in verse 7. They were completely, I'm reading in the New Living Translation, they were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee. Remember that? They were from those, and Galilee was kind of like, you know, they're from Galilee. That place where they're kind of borderline with the nations and the Gentiles. They don't, even, they don't even have a good accent. And yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. And we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk, that's all. Somebody's always got to have different explanations, right? Peter's going to give up, get up and give a divine explanation of what's going on. But I want you to remember, we talked about this last time. This was about the nations. The Old Testament talked about the nations coming to the temple. That that was what was prophesied. The nations coming from all over. And you'll notice in the background of this slide, the nations of Genesis 10. And you'll see some of those nations. This is an updated version of the nations of Genesis 10, the table of nations that's in Genesis 10. where So in, in Genesis, remember we did the books of Moses, so we have all this background. In Genesis, there's two reasons given why there's all these different ethnic groups, all these different languages. Why are people so different? We all have that question, right? Why can't people just speak English like normal people? Or whatever your mother tongue is, right? Um, unfortunately, English and Spanish and other languages of powerful people, uh, Latin and whatever, Greek, became dominant, so other people's tongues don't matter. This, this says your mother tongue matters. It may only be spoken by a few thousand people, but your mother tongue matters. And that's an important statement. In fact, as missions have gone out and done work that's one of the transformational things. Uh, Lamansani talks about this. One of the transformational things was even if missionaries were colonial and ethnocentric and bigoted, when they put God's word into somebody's mother tongue, that was transformational. God speaks my language? Wow. 
And then once they could read it in their mother tongue, they could figure out that what the missionaries were saying, if it was, some, they could critique what the missionaries were saying, if it was good or bad or not, not so you know, mixed, um, because God spoke directly to them. When in early Pentecostal times, <clears throat> I mean like the classic Pentecostal movement in 1907, actually we have roots back before 1900 in, in uh, Scandinavian Pentecostalism and in uh, northern Minnesota and North Dakota and so forth. But when we're talking classic, when they would, they would, people would be filled with the Holy Spirit and we'd be like, that sounds like Chinese. I think you're supposed to go to China. And I say, I think that sounds like, and, and that was the idea, was that you're being filled with the Holy Spirit to do mission. They were right about that. And they, they went. These missionaries went. Kind of disappointingly, they got there, spoke in tongues, and people were like, sometimes it worked, but usually they had to do the hard work of actually learning a language. It uh, wasn't quite so easy as all that. And it's okay. It takes time to learn a language and a people and a culture and really humiliate yourself and humble yourself to <coughs> know someone else. But they had the right idea in that this is about mission. Languages is saying that this is for mission, for the whole world. So this is an update of Genesis 10. That was the positive story about how we got different ethnic groups and languages. The negative story is in Genesis 11 with the story of Babel, that God confused their languages and they stopped listening to each other. They stopped hearing each other. And so they spread all over the world speaking different languages. That's kind of the negative story. And that is the negative story that, you know, if you're not going to speak my language, I'm not going to listen. But God declares the greatness of God in everyone's language. I, I want you to notice this. He doesn't make them all speak the heavenly language, whatever that is. It may be Norwegian for you. Maybe it's Hebrew. Um, whatever you think the heavenly language is, God doesn't make them all speak that. No, the, the Babylonians had a myth about how everybody was going to speak their language, and they, they enforced it with their armies, but everybody's going to speak their language, and the, the language of the gods, of course, was their language as well. <laughs> of course, we all do that, right? Um, as long as we have the power, we force people to speak our languages. English is a very powerful language right now, because... Uh, Americans and the British and other people had a lot of power. Um, likewise with the Spanish and Chinese and other languages that are powerful. Um, but God does something different. He doesn't force people to learn his language. He speaks in their mother tongues for us as a community, as a house of prayer for all nations. And when we had merged Twin Cities last night, it's not about getting all the nations to come here and learn to be like us. It's about hearing the great things that God does in another language. And let me tell you something. When you learn another language and a culture and a people, you start hearing things you never even thought of about how great God is and how God works. In I've learned so much because I learned Swahili as I was in another culture, about the way God did things that I never understood. So let me challenge you, even if it's just some greetings, learn some other languages, some of the languages of the All Nations Family Church, so you can learn some new things 
about God. Because God is so amazing, he can't be contained in one language. If, whether it's Latin or some other language, or Greek, or whatever the powerful language is at the time. Okay, so, it's about the nations. And this is in Luke. Jesus is going to Jerusalem. It's the end of his story where he dies, but then it's going out from Jerusalem. It's the end of Jesus' story. It's the beginning of the church's story, going out from Jerusalem to bring his blessing to the nations, those idolatrous, oppressive nations out there. God is at work. All right. So I want to <clears throat> make another, another couple of connections I think what helps you to understand and see what the emphases are for Luke is to look at both Luke and Acts and say, what does Luke emphasize? In fact, specifically, what does Luke emphasize that the other writers, Matthew, Mark, and John, don't emphasize? Because then you can see, oh, what is he adding? What's his emphasis? And you can also notice that he's making a parallel between Luke and Acts. And those things are similar between the two books. <clears throat> so, um, let me just point out a few things. In both Luke and Acts, at the beginning, I'm going to focus on the beginning of those two books, Luke does some things in parallel. First, there's prophetic expectation. You remember in the beginning of Luke, you have Simeon and Elizabeth and Mary, and they're all getting ready for this thing that's going to happen about Jesus coming, right? Likewise, um, then, then Jesus comes and the Spirit comes on him in a visible. So the Spirit comes on Jesus while he's praying and it's seen and heard. Like in the bodily form of a dove and a voice is heard. And, and Jesus is filled with the Spirit, anointed with the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit of God in that moment. Just like the disciples are later. It's both seen and heard. And for Luke, usually when there's a filling of the Spirit, you either see something or you hear something. When it's really important, you see and hear it. Like when the Spirit comes on Jesus and inaugurates his mission. Or the Spirit comes on the church and inaugurates their mission. Um, and so, and I, those are things that Luke is different about. Luke mentions Jesus praying that the others don't mention. Luke mentions coming in the bodily form of a dove that the other gospel writers don't mention. So we can see that these are special emphases for him that are parallel in Acts when Jesus' body, the church, is being anointed and empowered to do its mission. They both fulfill prophecy from the Old Testament for proclamation, for prophetic gifting, with power. So they come with signs and wonders. Luke adds in his... In, uh, when, he meant, when, when it's interpreted, we'll get there, um, by, by Peter, he adds prophecy and he adds signs and wonders to the, to the quotation from Joel because these are things he wants to emphasize and he'll pick up again later. So it comes with prophetic proclamation to fulfill prophecy and to do prophecy and with power and miracle signs and wonders to bring the good news to the poor. So... It also is interpreted by a sermon that follows it to tell us what it's about. So for you remember Luke's sermon, or Jesus' sermon in Luke, uh, very famously, 
Uh, first of all, let me just read the, uh, the piece of um, Luke 3. When, one day when the crowds were being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized. As he was praying, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit in bodily form descended on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. This is parallel to the anointing of the disciples later or the church later. Luke 4, then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. And then when he comes back, uh, when Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power, reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and everyone praised him. Then he comes to Nazareth and he unrolls the scroll. And he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. The Jubilee has come. Those things are all parallel for Luke in Acts. Like the Jubilee comes, they start sharing their possessions with each other. They, they, they make sure there is no poor among them. And um, the Spirit of the Lord is upon Jesus for a mission. And he begins to prophesy and to tell. Again, prophecy is a very broad term for Luke. All kinds of things that happen with your mouth. All right. In Acts, Peter is the Holy Spirit anointed interpreter of what just happened. Why are they speaking in tongues? Are they drunk? What's going on? Verse 14. We're back to Acts 2. Verse 14. Then Peter stepped forward with 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, Listen carefully, all of you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Sorry, I won't have to shout the whole time, but he was shouting. <clears throat> and listening is important. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. First of all, they shouldn't have broken the fast for Pentecost until at least 10, uh, much less get drunk. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, that's some Luke ad, adds, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all peoples. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And in those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. Luke adds that, and they will prophesy. Because he wants to emphasize it. I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The signs is also an addition from Luke that he picks up later. The sun will become dark, the moon will turn red, blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is about salvation. God's calling to you. God's calling to the peoples. And if they respond, they will be saved. So, when I, when I hear different people talk about Pentecost and what it means to be Pentecostal, Eugene Peterson says he grew up in a Pentecostal church. He says he felt like he was always Pentecostal because what him, for him what Pentecostal meant was everything in the Bible is meant to be lived today. I think that's a great emphasis. And it was one of the distinctives that the Pentecostal movement brought in that we're supposed to do it all. We're supposed to see it all. It's, none of it was like for some other time. So here's the tricky thing about narrative. 
um, when it's a narrative, this is something that happened, and then is that something that just happened once? Like, this is the beginning of the, holy, of the church. So is that something that was supposed to happen one time, or is it something that's supposed to continue? And here you have, see a lot of debate between different churches and different authors about, are we supposed to always see wind and fire? And then some people say, well, no, we don't always see wind and fire, so none of the rest of it's supposed to happen either. And none of it's supposed to happen since the time of the apostles. That's the cessationist view. Other people say, no, it's all supposed to happen. Now, is it always supposed to, every piece of it always supposed to happen? Every time? That's another question, okay? So some people might go to, to one side and say none of it ever happened again. Other people say all of it's always supposed to happen every time. I think there's some place in between, and I think Scripture points out as we even look at, at, the, at the book here. Um, Luke, what Luke and Acts himself says. But <clears throat> the, these are the things that I want you to see that Luke is emphasizing. All right? Are you following me? Prophetic expectations, spirit coming upon while praying, seen and heard, both fulfill prophecy for proclamation. A sermon is followed to interpret the meaning. And another piece, my dad said, you know what I think was unique for the Pentecostal movement was that all your sons and daughters, your young and your old, and all the nations, those who are far off, the Holy Spirit is for everyone. And that is something that Luke is saying is new. So you remember in the Old Testament, yes, the Holy Spirit would come upon one of the judges and they would do amazing things to bring justice. Or it'd come upon David, specially anointed, or David's son, or Elijah. Here, the Holy Spirit comes on every one of the 120 believers. The Holy Spirit is for every Christian. Okay? The Holy Spirit is for every Christian. And there is no one who is a Christian who doesn't have the Holy Spirit. Now, some people say, well, then, if you're a Christian and the Spirit, then you've got to speak in tongues in order to be a Christian. No, no, no. <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't go there. Everyone receives the Holy Spirit when they are saved. So I'm going to get to those questions in a little bit. Um, okay, let's just, let's, just ask, let's just ask those questions while we're at it. Some of, the, some of the questions and controversies, first of all, a lot of our pressing questions are about the Holy Spirit's activity in individual lives. Luke's not particularly concerned about that. He wants to see what the church is doing. All right? So the emphasis is everybody gets the Spirit. All right? I kind of like the way Wimber puts it, that when you're saved, the TV is plugged in. You might later have to learn how to turn it on and how to adjust the channels. Maybe that's a later work of being filled with the Spirit. But, um, so what if this is initial for the church at the time? Yes, it's an initial. Can people be filled with the Holy Spirit more than once? Yeah. It seems like in the book of Acts, people are filled with the Holy Spirit more than once. When is somebody filled with the Spirit in Luke and Acts? Well, they're filled with the Spirit when power for mission is necessary. 
I want you to notice that. When power for mission is necessary, the Holy Spirit gives people power and anointing. Now, I grew up, I went for a prayer retreat this uh, weekend uh, to uh, Wilderness Fellowship. Wonderful. Hadn't been there before. It was fantastic. Very close to Woodlake Bible Camp where I was, uh, went to Bible Camp, which was a fantastic experience. But one of the things we did at Woodlake Bible Camp was we, I spent time trying to be filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit, and seeking the evidence of speaking in tongues. And I, I, my understanding, what, what was taught was you're not filled with the Holy Spirit until you speak in tongues. So um, what that does, though, sometimes is that we get an emphasis on the sign. Okay? Like, where is the sign for St. Paul? So that I know I'm in St. Paul and not in Roseville. I haven't seen the sign yet. Well, you can be in St. Paul, maybe even if you didn't see the sign. Okay? The point is, we're supposed to be on mission bringing the good news to people. And we get filled with the Spirit so that we can proclaim. Now, in the book of Acts, it isn't every time that it clearly says that they spoke in tongues. Maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. That's a, that's a debate. But one thing that does happen every time is something happens. There is evidence. Okay? You can be in St. Paul, and there's probably ways you can tell you're in St. Paul, even if you didn't see the sign that you're used to when you get into St. Paul. Even if it isn't that one green sign that says how, what the population is or whatever, it might be that you're still in St. Paul. And there might be other signs, like how narrow the roads are or something, right? That you're in St. Paul. Um, so, so for Cornelius and company, they, things are, uh, I'm not going to go through every, every piece of each time that the Spirit comes. Is the Holy Spirit empowering for all Christians? Yes. Yes. It definitely is, according to Luke and Peter and Joel. Is it possible to be a Christian without it? Yes. In Acts, there are some people who are Christians without the filling of the Holy Spirit, but they are then empowered. This is the exception. It's not the norm in Luke's account. All right? Here's the difficulty that I think sometimes come, and maybe you've felt it if you've been in a Pentecostal church, that... that if you speak in tongues, then you're a little better than your average Christian. Or else, you're the average Christian because you speak in tongues and everybody else is a little bit not spirit-filled. You know, there's God are Christians, but they're not spirit-filled Christians. So, I think Luke is not trying to make an emphasis or a hierarchy about how some people are super saints and other people are lesser saints, or some people are normal saints, and other people are not quite normal saints. And I think some of us, as we've sought the Holy Spirit, we felt like we, we want to really enter into being a real Christian, a, a real... That's not Luke's emphasis, okay? I know this is messing with some of our tradition here, but I want us to keep, keep pressing into what the Scripture says, all right? So is... Speaking in tongues and evidence of the Holy Spirit? Yes, often. Always? I don't think so. Not from what I see. Now, keep in mind that we should experience what the Bible says. And our experience is going to influence how we look at the Bible. 
And you'll notice this especially with this. People who haven't ever spoken in tongues or been in, they're in a church where people don't speak in tongues, they say, well, that's, that's just weird. That's not normal. But I guess maybe some people. Other people are like, oh, yeah, that's the way it normally is and always has to be. Based on my experience. Get what I'm saying? Use your experience, but don't make your experience normative for what Scripture says. You follow me? So non-Pentecostals will say Pentecostals use their experience to interpret Scripture. Their experience of the Holy Spirit to interpret Scripture. And you know what? They're using their non-experience of the Holy Spirit to interpret Scripture. Everybody uses their experience. Um, but we still want this to be normative. If you have an experience, evidence of, you know, ask God for the filling of the Holy Spirit. And there will be evidence. <clears throat> okay. Um, is there evidence of empowering by the Holy Spirit? There always is in Luke. Um, and sometimes you can tell, just like when, when Moses, the Spirit was given to these other elders, you could tell because those elders, there was evidence for those elders. The evidence is always visible or audible for Luke, but not always immediate. The evidence always relates to service and almost always to mission and prophecy. Whether tongues is the universal evidence of receiving the Spirit's empowering is not an issue for Luke. Oh, see, that's the problem. He didn't come with our issues. How is he going to solve our issues if he doesn't come with our issues? Luke has other issues we might want to pay attention to. If it was, he would have told us about the what the obvious evidence was in the Samaritan's reception. So the Samaritans got the Holy Spirit, and something was obvious that they got it, but he doesn't tell us what it is. Maybe it was speaking tongues, maybe it wasn't. If we confine ourselves to what Luke says, we can say it was and is a frequent evidence that people spoke in other languages, but know that it was not universal, not everybody. Mission and broadly defining prophecy there are the important evidences for Luke. So I can tell you've been filled with the Holy Spirit because you're doing mission. I can tell because you're saying things that the, that the Spirit is inspiring. Maybe they're in English. Maybe they're in a different language. But the Spirit is at work, and I can tell. I can see it or hear it. The difficulty is when we are like, I want to get the evidence. I want to just have evidence. Give me evidence. And then we don't want to do anything. You just want to have evidence. We just want to stand by the sign and say, this is St. Paul. I made it. Well, do something for St. Paul. There's all these nations in St. Paul. Reach St. Paul. You get what I'm saying? Um, we were at the Capitol last night for Merge Twin Cities. It was fantastic to see the nations there and to talk to different people. And, and um, I went by the Congolese booth to see what was happening. It was, uh, anyway, I won't tell you all the stories, but should the Holy Spirit be sought after? Yes, seek the Holy Spirit. But usually the Holy Spirit seeks us out <laughs> in Luke Acts and empowers us and makes things happen. Um, Luke's narratives paint an exciting picture of the Spirit's work in anointing and empowering Jesus and the church for a task. The task is primarily proclaiming the good news to the poor in all the nations of the world. So let's seek God to fill us and empower us by his Spirit, so we can do our part in proclaiming the good news. So keys for Luke, it's the Spirit of Jesus. Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit. 
the Spirit that comes on Jesus. And then when Jesus goes, he sends the Holy Spirit. And it's Jesus sending that Spirit. He said, uh, Peter goes on and says, I guess I, maybe I won't take time to read the whole thing, but he says this, that Jesus has sent, um, Jesus, God raised Jesus from the dead. He, we are all witnesses of this. He, there he is being a witness again. Now he is exalted to the highest place of honor in heaven and at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him, the Holy Spirit, to pour out upon us just as you see and hear today. You get it? It's Jesus' Spirit, and he's pouring it out, and it should be seen or heard somehow. It's for mission to the nations. We are a house of prayer for all nations because God wants the nations to hear. The good thing is, it's not up to us. We're not like, I'm going to get the nations, or what are we going to do that? No. The Spirit is empowering us. We don't have to try so hard. We have to let the Spirit empower us to do what He wants to do and is inviting us into. It's for proclamation. It's for prophecy. You're, what you say is going to be different because the Spirit is anointing you and empowering you. And it's for power. There's signs, wonders, healings, demons being cast out, and a lot of other things. M money being shared, people selling property so widows don't, don't get, go hungry. All kinds of things that happen because the power of the Spirit makes them happen. <clears throat> so, the Spirit of Jesus is empowering BCF and the rest of the church for a powerful prophetic mission proclaiming the good news to the nations. It's not just about you individually, but it is about you individually. You're part of the church. God has a mission for you. And he's not leaving you on your own to do it. He's got power for you to do it. Okay? So the, we're going to invite the worship team back up. And I'm going to invite you to pray into that. We'll have some time for discussion and prayer in uh, the back rooms later. But come on up, worship team. As we're praying, I invite you to, to come up here and pray. We'll, there'll be other people to pray with you, other elders and Others come up to pray with you. If you want somebody to pray with you, but pray into your part in God's mission and the Holy Spirit to anoint and empower you to do it. Let's be honest. We don't got it by ourselves. Right? But it wasn't our mission in the first place. He's invited us not only to the task, but to the power to do it. So, let's pray together, let's worship together as we hear from God. Lord, we want to lift your name up higher. We want you to be exalted. We want our words, our actions to demonstrate that you are with us. Do your work. Jesus, we make ourselves available to be part of your work, that you can do your work through us. Thank you that you have called us to a great worldwide, history-long 
work that you are at to bless the nations. We thank you that you are the power and enabling for that work. We thank you that you have called each of us to a place and a part to participate in that work. Lord, we pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. Enable us so that we can do, say, be who you want us to be. I want to encourage you even this week um, you know as, as I was driving as I realized that my direction was toward Woodlake Camp I was thinking about that time at the altar and a lot of other times at the altar where God met me in special ways I'm grateful that I was encouraged to seek God and seek the Holy Spirit to enter in and receive from the Holy Spirit I think after some years of seeking that, when I spoke in tongues, I was disappointed that that was all there was, that I wasn't some kind of super saint now. And now I've, I've rejoiced in being able to pray in tongues and speak in tongues through the years since then. But I'm grateful that that wasn't the one time that I was filled with the Holy Spirit, that that wasn't the one thing I had to go on for the rest of the time. But as God's called into more mission and more opportunities, then bring more filling and more connection. So I just want to invite you to two things. One is step into what God is leading you into, into his mission. Second is depend on him and ask for the filling of the Holy Spirit to do that mission. And let's do it together because it's about all of us. And the beautiful thing is that it's for the young and the old and the sons and the daughters and every nation, there's no hierarchy or special or more of those. We all get to be part because one spirit in one body has brought us together to do the one work that God is doing for our one world. So let me bless you. And we're going to have a little more prayer time up here. Bless you who are online as you go. So go in the power of the Holy Spirit to do the mission of Jesus and to bring glory to God our Father. Amen.